I'm Red Robinson, and these are the Legends of Rock. Jerry Allison played drums for Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Here he tells us about the early days. Buddy started out playing with a fellow named Bob Montgomery, and uh, like in, I mean, they grew up together in grade school and junior high, and they just did strictly country music. Like uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Johnny and Jack. Sure. And uh, teens like too old to cut the mustard, and and really uh, a hillbilly music actually. When you call it country, but really hillbilly music. Like Buddy played the banjo and like, the mandolin quite a bit, and they got a group. They had a country group together when I first started playing in the group, and uh, had a steel guitar, stand-up bass, and uh, Sonny Curtis. Uh, played the fiddle in that band way back in, uh, must have been, what, 54, 55, along there. We'd play, uh, like, service station openings, and just any place there was to play, you know, did so, and played, played a few joints, but we were really too young to get in the... Well, were you kids in high school at the time? Or? Yeah, we were still in high school when we started doing all that. We'd play weekends, you know, out of town, maybe 100 miles, but, uh, uh, well, I was, uh, I guess I must have been a junior in high school when we started out. And Buddy was a year ahead of me, and Sonny was a year ahead. And uh, so they graduated, uh, they started doing more gigs when uh, when they got out of high school, of course. And, and you so. started touring. At one point, I understand that uh, Elvis Presley either played Lubbock or somewhere close. Did you, uh, were you featured on that bill with Presley at that time? Uh, well, we talked, was? there was a guy named Dave Stone that owned the, uh, KDAV radio station there, and, and we hung around the radio station, and so we got backstage at all the shows, and they let us like open the show when Elvis came one time, and Buddy used Elvis's guitar and broke a string and did one of Elvis's songs, which was pretty, <laughs> pretty Is that pushy. true? Yeah, but uh, I mean, uh, Elvis wasn't, uh, he wasn't on RCA yet, he was still on Sun Records, and uh, he was sort of like one of the guys, uh, but I mean, he was hot, you know, I mean, right. all the, all the, uh, I mean, he tore them up on the shows. But that we weren't actually on the bill. We just opened the show, and nobody knew we were gonna. We started to talk to somebody to let us do it. You know, by that time, had you uh, kind of left the country roots behind, and you started? I mean, all, all of us as kids, and I was one of them too. Mm -hmm. The radio started pouring out this thing called rock and roll. So, where was the transition period when you decided country wasn't the route? Uh, I think Elvis was the biggest factor influence on that. But we we were into uh, what they used to call uh, rhythm and blues, like race records. You know, then you couldn't hear that around Texas much. There was a station out of uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, that like late at night, I think it started at 10.30 at night, and there was like an hour show, Gate Mouth and uh, Stan's Record Review. And uh, you could pick that up in Texas, it would be like a 50,000 watt station or something. And so we'd sit around at night and listen to that, and there was records like uh, Etta James and the Peaches, and uh, uh, they'd play Little Richard records. But you couldn't, couldn't get that around Texas. I mean, it was just strictly country or pop music, you know, like uh, uh, Patty Page. Right. And, uh, that Frankie kind of Lane and Doris Frank, Day, right. things like yeah. that. So what what happened though? I mean, uh, did you start doing rock and roll? At what point did you abandon the um, Well, we did. We'd play country shows, and Buddy got got more into playing rock and roll. And in fact, we went to Wichita Falls, Texas, one time, cut some uh, demos to try to get a record deal. And Bob and uh, you know, like the country band went, and uh, then we cut some uh, some demos that time without Bob singing country harmony, just like a like an Elvis type group, because we'd already got and we'd been going around doing Elvis kind of shows. Right. In fact, I was out of the group for a while because Elvis didn't have a drummer. Right. And so, uh, Buddy just had like Sonny Curtis playing guitar and Don Guest playing bass because Elvis. And the next time Elvis came through, he had a drummer, so I was back in the group. You know, that's when DJ Fontana joined right. the Presley group. Uh, DJ came through with Elvis. Uh, just Scotty and Bill and Elvis at one point. That's what yeah. you're saying. When when he first started coming through, 
But uh, anyway, we cut some records, uh, some like duet country type records, and then Buddy cut some, because Bob Montgomery didn't like rock and roll at all, so we cut some records like, uh, I think we cut a couple of Elvis ones, and then some that would, that, uh, some, I remember. Hank Williams. No, they were, they were rock and roll that somebody had written, like trying to copy Elvis type writing. We cut those and sent them, and they wanted to sign that group, not, they wanted to sign Buddy Holly, but not the, they didn't like the country stuff, and so then we said, okay. It sort of that the country deal was went down the tubes then. So that's when it became rock and roll for the uh, for the crickets. Uh, any changes? As I look at the um, discography of the uh, crickets, it went from Decca Records and moved around, and then there's a man called Norman Petty in Clovis, New Mexico. How did you end up in right. Clovis? Well, that particular deal, uh, Buddy made a deal with Decca from those demos that we sent to Nashville, and uh, we went to Nashville and recorded, and we cut that'll be the day and. Uh, um, but Nashville wasn't ready for rock and roll, really. They didn't, you know, they said, okay, you got three hours time, and when you get through, you're through, and all that. And uh, anyway, we cut some, well, Buddy had, I think, two records out on deck of the end, and they dropped him after a year. So then we kept pursuing it and went over to Clovis, New Mexico, which was only uh, about an hour, hour and a half drive from Lubbock. And he had a studio over there, and he had a Norman Petty trio, which mm -hmm. was organ, piano, and guitar, mm -hmm. and he had some success. And we were very cut, you know, we cut demos and all that, and finally Norm Pace said, well, let me, in fact, we cut them to send to Roulette Records, because Buddy Knox was doing good on Roulette at the time, and we knew his, uh, you know, it's all the same area. And we thought, well, we, maybe we get on Roulette, and we, we sent the records to Roulette, and they said, no, we got Buddy Knox and Jimmy Bowen, we don't need another batch like that, you know. Right. So uh, then Norman Petty sent the records to Coral, and they actually put out the demos that we'd send them, that'll be they, and they're looking for someone to love. We're demonstrating the ones we're just cutting, trying to get a deal. And I said, I will just put these out. And that's how we uh, started. Uh, and the reason that wasn't called Buddy Holly and the Crickets at the time, because we'd just, uh, we'd already cut That'll Be the Day for DECA. And, it, you know, the deal where you can't cut the same song for a different record company. Right. And so we just called it the Crickets and, instead of Buddy Holly and the Crickets. And uh, was the inspiration for That'll Be the Day really from the John Wayne movie, The Searchers? Oh, yeah. Buddy and I had seen that. Uh, either the night before or night or two before we wrote that. And John Wayne said that a lot in that movie. And uh, He said, that'll be the day. <laughs> yeah. Like that, and partner. Is that it? Yeah, that's, it sounded a lot like that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, uh, that's, that's definitely the, where that came from. I think with the legend of anybody, whether it be James Dean, I mean, we're talking about Buddy Holly, a man who, with your group, uh, you were on top of the heap for 18 months before the tragedy. I mean, it wasn't like forever. Uh, no, it seemed like about three weeks. No, but yeah, this was it by. You know. And amazing because very much like James Dean in the movies, mm -hmm. he only made three movies. You people uh, had maybe uh, six or seven hits, and then the tragedy. Yeah, and it's amazing how many records are out now that uh, maybe shouldn't even be out, like the demos we were cutting, and those records out, those ones I were talk was talking about in Wichita Falls. Those are all been released now, and. Uh, I mean, I guess they should be because anybody wants to hear Buddy Holly, you know, it's... But it's historic. I really wish we had time to do some more, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, exactly. If we knew now. Because like Joe B. and I, uh, Buddy moved it. So much happened in the 18 months, like Buddy and I both got married, which never helps a group. You know, no. the Beatles didn't even help the Beatles, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, we got married and, uh, and, boy, that changed everything a lot. And Buddy's wife was from New York. He moved to New York and uh, I guess he moved up there about... Uh, at the 58. End, of, end of 58 and we stayed in Texas and we weren't like fighting we said well, I don't know if we want to go up there or not you know and uh, and Norman Petty is, was telling us like hey you guys better stay here you're gonna go to New York and uh, 
you don't have me to manage the group. I just we were kids, you know. And we right. we handled everything just like kids, and so we stayed in. The, I mean, if we had to do it again, then it'd be a lot different, you know. No, we're all generals with hindsight, aren't we? I hear there's another side to to Buddy Holly though. When I met you and Buddy and everybody here in 1957, uh, you as you described it so well, you were all kids, and none of us thought it was rock and roll was going to last, did we? Thirty years. Uh, uh, we didn't even consider the money part, like we didn't care what kind of contract we had, just let us go out and play, you know. And it was fun to have a hit record so we could go out and, and, and uh, get booked. And so people would recognize it when we played it and, and we weren't sitting saying, hey, this is art or uh, this is something that's going to last or anything on that level. Yeah. You know, it's just, hey, go out and play and enjoy yourselves, you know, this is because he has our heads, we thought. Buddy and, uh, and the Crickets uh, have become legendary. Look at the influence on the Beatles and the English things you were talking about. I mean, yeah, that's really flattering. I, I thought about it a lot, like, uh, like I think we were probably the first ugly band, you know, <laughs> and then the Rolling Stones just took it and went all the way with it. <laughs> One thing I've always wanted to ask you, yeah, right. One thing I've always wanted to ask you, Jerry, that story in the movie, and I had read it before. Uh, at the Brooklyn Paramount. Did they really expect the crickets to come out and be a black act like it uh, showed in the movie, or how did that work? At the Apollo, I, I think uh, uh, I think a lot of people did because there had been a, a black group called the Crickets that uh, ended up, some of those guys, we worked with the guys that had, like uh, the Cadillacs or that group, well, some of those guys had been Crickets and they had a couple of records out. And we didn't know that, of course, till we got up to New York, but uh, I think the first, like, like the first two or three, and the guy that booked us, like he's booked by listening to the records. He owned a record store and he'd, you know, record that got sold. He'd listen to it and call him book the axe cheap, you know. And uh, but we, the first time we booked, we booked for 17 weeks in a row, you know, like for a thousand dollars a week's what we got back then. And there was four of us at the time, and uh, that's barely gambling money, you know, on the road. <laughs> but uh, I think they actually did. Uh, a lot of people thought we were we were colored, and there were black theaters that we were playing on. It was all black show except for us. How did they react to it though? Because you were, you really broke ground there. Uh, it was great. The audiences were great because they, you know, the record was on the rhythm and blues charts as well as the. Uh, it never get get on the country charts. I don't think, but it's on the pop charts and the rhythm and blues charts. So the audiences were familiar with that'll be the day. More record so, charts. And I think they were sort of amazed that we were white, you know. And, uh, Buddy was apparently the people that I know in the business. Uh, the other side, as I was going to say, uh, very demanding in the studio, and he could be nasty and stubborn at times over what he believed was right. Isn't that not right? Uh, well, he was pretty well that way about everything. I mean, he uh, he sort of knew what he wanted. You know, he wasn't wasn't very wishy-washy about anything. But, uh, we know in the business, though, that that's how you have to be as a performer to get your creative. That's right. You can't let it, you can't put everybody's ideas in on everything, or you just have everybody's deal. I mean, if you know what you want, I mean, he'd stick with what he wanted pretty well. Yeah, he wasn't good at compromise. No. Labats. <laughs> it's hard for me to compare him, like, to, uh, as far as studio and, and working with him goes, because we were friends and we'd hang out, you know, from from school, and we'd sit there and say, "How can we make it?" You know, like, "How can we like not just play here in town?" And um, I was telling Les Folk a while ago, like, uh, he was concerned about you know a three-piece group, mm -hmm. and uh, I mean, it's really easy with three-piece group, like you can all get in one car and just you know you can get one room to roll away or whatever, you know, that kind of thing, but. <laughs> We played, Holly and I played quite a few dance jobs around Lubbock with uh, just the two of us. And I don't know, uh, you know, guys, we'd have different guys playing that go be doing, you know, what, they weren't there interested in what the kind of music I think was the main thing that we were. Right. And, uh, uh, but anyway, so, I mean, he was like more of a friend. It wasn't like working with, working for him and it's like working with him. And we'd sit out and, you know, like when I was talking to that Stan's record review and all that, and we'd say, 
you know, how can we you know sound like that and sell records and and uh, get on not sell records, people, but get on the road? You know, how can we be pop? And we thought when we uh, cut that first record on Decca that having a record out made you a star, and you all of a sudden they'd be calling for gigs. But we found out that wasn't the deal. You know, like you got to have that and have somebody playing it and buying it as well. You know, and uh, like we'd sit around and listen to Party Doll that that uh, Buddy Knox and Jimmy Boy and those guys did, and uh, say. Uh, did those guys figure out how to play that way to sell records, or is that the way they really play, or uh, you know how'd they do it? And that's so, right. so that had a lot of influence. Well, that's the reason we went to Clovis because of Knox and those guys, and uh, Donnie Lanier, who's Buddy Knox's guitar player, his sister uh, said, "Okay, I, I, you know, I'll send you make a tape, and I'll send it to uh, Roulette for Buddy and them got started." And so, and of course, then they said they didn't need another one of those didn't groups. Need one of those they didn't know. But, you know, now, uh, bringing it up to, to date, uh, Jerry, we have the Hall of Fame in Cleveland saluting the art of rock and roll. And it is a hybrid, isn't it? It's rhythm and blues, as you've described it, with the uh, black music, and it's in its hillbilly blues that combine to make rock and roll. Yeah, and, I think it's definitely uh, all that combined. And your roots are really basically country. Yeah, because that, that's what you hear growing up in Texas. Was, uh, but where'd you yeah. get that paradiddle, as they call it, drum idea? Uh, you want another very record, or yeah, <laughs> no, uh, not familiar. Uh, there was a J.P. Morgan record called "That's All I Want from You." Yes, and, an RCA. Uh, and the other side was it was called Dawn, and I think it had timpanis in the background. And like a uh, piece is is a uh, paradiddles. It's like a drum rudiment when you take. Like I played drums in school, took drum lessons, and you know, like, uh, and that's one of the rudiments or paradiddles, which is like playing left, right, left, left, right, left, right, right. And uh, anyway, that's that record reminded me of play, of paradiddles on the that uh, J.P. Morgan record. Mm -hmm. So we started kind of saying, so I wonder if this would fit. And it went well with what Bay was playing on the guitar. So It's amazing how many drummers around the world respect what you did. Uh, and you uh, know, and it must be flattering for oh, you. Oh, it's real flattering, sure is. Yeah. Uh, 1980s we're in, and uh, the crickets are still touring around. But you, you like to go home and farm, don't you? That's right. We, uh, we haven't been touring that much at all. It's, uh, you know, like, like this thing's really fun to do here in Vancouver. It's fun to come to Vancouver. We've got a lot of friends up here and it's fun to see them. And I wish we had time to go fishing because one of our friends is a, a fishing guide too. But uh, and these are fun. And we're going to start working a lot more than we did because we've got to make some money so we can afford to farm. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever meet the Beatles who um, uh, copied that, uh, you know, they said they got the idea of the Beatles from the crickets? Uh, well, been around Paul McCartney quite a bit. He has a, a, a Buddy Holly Week in England every year. You go we've to been over twice to play that, and uh, uh, he bought Buddy Holly's catalog, or the Crickets catalog, I should say. We're promoting the Crickets here, but bought all of our old records that uh, our old songs, the publishing on that Norman Petty used to have, Narva Jack Music. Yes. And uh, uh, I talked to Ringo on the phone one time, and I always wanted to meet John Lennon, never did. And met George Harrison in L.A. when he used to play with the... Uh, Delaney and Bonnie. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was used to manage them and for friends. a period. <laughs> yeah, I was one of the friends when they were getting started. But uh, I mean, we all of us love the Beatles, everything they ever did. And Paul, you know, Paul McCartney still didn't get stuff, of course. But how about the uh, Crickets today? Uh, You're going to work on albums. You're going to go back in the studio. Yeah, we're going to go back and try to catch some stuff. Like through the years, we got them to surfing music when that was happening. And then we tried. We even covered some of the Beatles records before they made it over here, which was really stupid. But uh, you know, we'd say, "Well, let's you know, here's what's selling. Let's go do some of that." And we tried that for years. And uh, now we're going. We've been doing some stuff in the studio, 
and we're, we're not doing the old songs again, not rehashing that, but we're trying to play what we know how to play. We finally figured out that we need Joe B playing stand-up bass, not the slick uh, Hollywood or Nashville musicians. And we're going in and trying to cut records, like write songs and write our own songs. And because there may, you know, some people may want to hear that we enjoy playing it. So if there's a market out there for it, we'll be hotter than firecrackers again. <laughs> Jerry Ellison, thank you. Oh, thank, thank you, Rick. Enjoy it. Got legends? We do. RedRobinson.com.